This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year has gone by so quickly. So much has happened. I mean, I have already completely reconstructed the plumbing in my house. Luckily, not myself. I had help. And you know, with everything going on in life, sometimes it's important to slow down. Take a minute to reflect and make adjustments for the rest of the year ahead. And if you need a little help with that, therapy is an excellent option. I have loved therapy so much in part because of the coping mechanisms it's given me. It's not just a place to share my feelings about my life or what's going on. I've learned ways to address my own mental habits so that I can handle what I'm doing even better. I've learned that self-care is not selfish, and it's really made a big difference in my life. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, and all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get started. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash conspiracy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. In the early evening of Tuesday, November 17, 1896, hundreds of residents of Sacramento, California, gaped in awe at what appeared to be a bright light in the sky. It was traveling over K Street, propelled by some mysterious force. Though the sky was dark and overcast, it appeared that it wasn't simply a light moving across the sky. It was a ship, an airship. At least, that's what people called it at the end of the 19th century. A new term would be coined 50 years later, following the Roswell incident. Such ships would come to be known as unidentified flying objects, or UFOs. But observers in Sacramento that night reported hearing distinctly human voices aboard the egg-shaped ship. According to the Sacramento Evening Bee, the witnesses shouted, Where are you headed? And voices replied, San Francisco before midnight. Over the course of the next seven months, thousands more airship sightings poured in from across the continental United States, Canada, and Mexico. Then, just as abruptly, they stopped. By May 1897, over 1,200 news articles had been written about the mystery airship sightings. But that summer, the reports stopped, just as suddenly as they had started. 
Since then, no one has been able to definitively determine what the ships were, where they came from, or if the objects reported by thousands of eyewitnesses even existed. And that might be because someone didn't want them to exist. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on the Great Airship Mystery. Between November 1896 and May 1897, thousands of mysterious flying objects were spotted across the continental United States. This week, we'll delve into the official story and examine the historical backdrop of the late 1890s when the airship sightings occurred. Since there is no consensus on what these objects were or where they came from, all that remains of the official story are the newspaper articles. We'll examine the most significant reports to get a sense of this strange, forgotten chapter of American history. Next week, We'll dive into some conspiracy theories surrounding the airship sightings. Were they the work of a secret inventor, a massive newspaper hoax, or were they evidence of an intelligent alien race covered up by our own leaders? To understand the great airship mystery, we need some historical context on the development of aeronautics in the United States. And to do that, We need to go back to the 1860s. In 1861, the North and South were locked in a brutal civil war. That July, famed aeronaut Thaddeus Lowe convinced Abraham Lincoln to use his hot air balloons to surveil Confederate troops. A telegraph wire was run from the ground up to each balloon's basket so the Union could communicate their findings in real time. It was the first indication of how valuable aeronautical capabilities could be in turning the tides of war. The next wave of American aeronautics turned the simple balloon into a flying dirigible craft, complete with a rudder, quite literally an airship. One of the first appeared in 1863. Crowds gathered in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, to witness the flight of the Arion, an airship made by Dr. Solomon Andrews. They weren't disappointed. It flew as far as Oyster Bay in Long Island, using a combination of wing-shaped balloons and steering vanes, which enabled Andrews, in his words, to glide under gravity. Thrilled with the success of the Arion's test flight, 
Dr. Andrews wrote President Lincoln to offer it to the Union during the Civil War, but his letter went unanswered. It's worth noting that both Thaddeus Lowe's balloons and Dr. Andrews' Arion were examples of what's called lighter-than-air aircraft, meaning they relied on hydrogen gas for lift. At the time, most people in the United States assumed this technology was the future of aeronautics. But a few forward thinkers had other ideas. One was science fiction author Jules Verne. His popular 1886 novel, Rober the Conqueror, depicted a secretive inventor who flouts the scientific establishment with his heavier-than-air craft, the Albatross. In hindsight, we know Verne's heavier-than-air theory represented the future of air travel. But at the time, the idea was nothing more than its genre, science fiction. But even outside the realm of speculative narrative, anything seemed possible. By the end of the 1880s, America stood between the old world and the new. The frontier was settled, and the age of the machine was upon them. Industrialization led to the rapid urbanization of American cities. Immigrants poured in from Europe, drawn by explosive wage growth. But by the 1890s, wages stagnated and working conditions worsened. Income inequality grew as a new class of millionaires was minted. Many in the West blamed the privately owned railroads, which enjoyed a comfortable self-dealing monopoly. As the common people saw it, farmers and manufacturers suffered while magnates like the Vanderbilt family lined their pockets. The American South was still reeling from the economic devastation of the Civil War. And America was on the brink of another, a war with the Spanish over Cuban independence. As the turn of the 20th century approached, people believed the end of days was coming. Church attendance was at an all-time high as people looked to the Book of Revelation for guidance. They were told strange beings would descend from heaven. Which brings us back to the night of November 17, 1896, when that sign appeared and the great airship mystery began. According to the Sacramento Bee, foreboding clouds filled the sky over Sacramento, California when, through the darkness, an eerie light emerged. Baffled onlookers gathered beneath what appeared to be an airship maneuvering through the clouds overhead. It looked like an egg-shaped craft with propellers and a massive downward-facing searchlight that illuminated the city below. Witness statements published by the Sacramento Bee claimed the airship traveled at a slow speed and low altitude over the city for the better part of an hour. It appeared to be headed southwest toward San Francisco. Though it resembled early airship designs of the time, it was the most advanced flying craft anyone in Sacramento had ever seen. Witnesses knew it wasn't a balloon because it steered against the prevailing wind. No existing airship had that capability. Sacramento witness R.L. Lowry described seeing four men aboard the airship. He claimed they were furiously turning the propellers as though they were operating a bike. As for the witnesses who said they communicated with whatever was on board the craft, the San Francisco call was unable to verify their identities. That being said, there is corroboration to their story. 
David Carl, a horse trainer at Agricultural Park just outside Sacramento, was outside tending to his mounts when the animals became agitated. He looked around to see what was making them panic. That's when he spotted the airship overhead. It was flying at such a low altitude that Carl said he could overhear what sounded like a heated debate on board. Apparently, one voice was concerned they were flying too low to the ground and might collide with a church steeple. Another interjected, adding that if they flew too high, they might not make it to San Francisco by midnight. The second voice must have prevailed because all witnesses stated they saw the airship rise in altitude before disappearing. But it wasn't gone long. Some news reports claim it reappeared in Sacramento almost immediately. Depending on the report, an airship was next sighted either November 19th, 20th, or 21st. All accounts agree, however, that this time the airship was traveling in the opposite direction. Either the airship got lost on its way to San Francisco, or this was a different vessel altogether. Whatever the case, there was a pattern. Soon, the whole of California was gripped by airship mania. And as the mysterious sightings moved eastward, they started to rock the entire country to its foundations. Coming up, the appearance of an airship over San Francisco stops a train in its tracks. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. In November 1896, a mysterious airship was seen over Sacramento, and the reports made it all the way to the local papers. Apparently, the ship employed never-before-seen technology, and allegedly it was headed to San Francisco. Some critics doubted the veracity of these stories. After all, 19th-century reporters were notorious for making up fantastical hoaxes and scandals to sell papers. But believers had one strong piece of counter-evidence, the sheer number of eyewitnesses. And few eyewitness accounts were more credible than those from the evening of Saturday, November 21, 1896. That night, 
a crowded train car was headed toward Piedmont, just outside San Francisco proper. The conductor was Selby Yost, an employee of the Piedmont Railroad and a respected member of the Oakland Guard. Yost's train was running behind schedule, and he was speeding along to recover lost time. That's when Yost heard a commotion from his passengers. According to the Oakland office of the San Francisco Call, those travelers were shocked to see what they described as a peculiar-looking contrivance high up in the sky. They screamed for Yost to stop the train. Reluctantly, he complied. The passengers clambered outside and gathered near the tracks next crane to the sky. An airship was flying overhead. It looked like the etching of the Sacramento ship the San Francisco Call had published mere days before. It was egg-shaped with huge propellers and a large searchlight. And it looked like it was heading towards Oakland, descending quickly, as though it planned to touch down somewhere in San Francisco. But if the airship landed in San Francisco on the night of November 21, 1896, no one reported it. However, hundreds of people saw it in the sky. Residents from Sacramento, San Francisco, Oakland, Folsom, Modesto, Manteca, and Sebastopol, all were sure they saw the airship on the night of the 21st. Then, just after six in the evening on the next night, November 22nd, the airship supposedly appeared over Sacramento once again. The first to spot it was an on-duty policeman working in Sacramento's Mission District. After he gave his statement to the papers, thousands of other witnesses came forward, including the Sacramento Sheriff, District Attorney Frank D. Ryan, Deputy Secretary of State George A. McGalvey, and the Governor's personal secretary, E.D. McCabe. Many hadn't seen its earlier appearances and admitted that, at first, they'd thought it was just a balloon. But now that they'd seen it themselves, they were convinced. This airship looked much like the others. But now, reports claimed it was outfitted with two searchlights instead of just one. If this was the same airship spotted by the Piedmont Railroad passengers outside San Francisco nights earlier, that might mean that it made an emergency landing somewhere around Oakland possibly to repair a broken searchlight, or it could have been a different craft entirely. Whatever the case, the next night, the airship appeared over San Francisco yet again. This time, even San Francisco Mayor Adolph Sutro claimed to have seen it. But once more, there are some conflicting reports. Some maintain that it wasn't Mayor Sutro who witnessed the airship, but his servants. As you can tell, conflicting accounts were common in the great airship mystery. The following night, two inches of rain fell on San Francisco, but excited residents still pressed into the streets to try and catch a glimpse of the now famous airship. Given its frequent appearances, they were sure it would pass overhead again. Many even claimed to have spotted it that night. But how true were these accounts? According to a devastating report by William Randolph Hearst's paper, the San Francisco Examiner, it was all an elaborate hoax. That same week, 
In a November 24th article, the examiner cited Alexander D. McAvoy of the American and International Detective Agency, who alleged he'd witnessed the con in action. Two men launched a 10-foot kite-shaped object into the sky from Inspiration Point, a panoramic cliff over the Piedmont Hills, not far from where the airship was spotted. According to McAvoy, the kite was affixed with windmill-shaped propellers and strung with red-colored Japanese lanterns. They concluded that all of the other area papers had been naively taken in. It was the beginning of a media war. The next morning, the San Francisco Call ran a scathing report that debunked the debunkers at the examiner. According to the Call, this so-called Detective McAvoy was actually an examiner reporter, and he'd been tasked to engineer a hoax story to discredit their rival paper, The Call. It became a game of he said, she said. The examiner interviewed a train conductor named Christ, who claimed McAvoy had badgered him for his name on his train the night before. Apparently, McAvoy needed a reputable witness to attest he made it to Inspiration Point by 11 p.m. According to Christ, McAvoy might have reached Inspiration Point that night if he'd hurried. But conditions were so wet and slippery from the rain, he doubted McAvoy could have made it in time to see the alleged kite launch. Nevertheless, the mention of a possible hoax was enough to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of Californians. More media outlets started to weigh in. Eureka, California's Humboldt Times, scoffed that San Francisco had gone daft over the flying machine. But no sooner had Eureka written off the airships than reports of a new sighting flooded in, this time from their own backyard in Humboldt County. Over the course of one November night, airship sightings were reported from multiple counties, El Dorado to the east, Sonoma to the west, and Fresno to the south. In the following days, flying craft were reported in Ukiah in Mendocino County, Camptonville in Yuba County, San Jose in Santa Clara County, Pacific Grove in Monterey County, Merced County, even as far south as Los Angeles. Nineteen California counties reported seeing the mysterious airships. The accounts became so numerous, in fact, the Fresno Republican declared... The town which has not had its airship might as well come off the map. If it is alive, it doesn't know it. The catty words may have annoyed the Napa Register. The airships were spotted in just about every sizable California town except theirs. But the Register bit back. They alluded that the sightings were alcohol-fueled delusions and Napa was a dry town. The Fresno Republican fired a volley, saying that several hundred of their citizens solemnly declare that they saw the airship. Bonanza cocktails or even vulgar steam beer had nothing to do with it. Then, one late November night in Yuba County, California, a new story came from the small town of Camptonville, the strangest yet. A man named William Bull Meek claimed an airship had landed on his property. Meek went outside to investigate further. Not only did he find the craft in his backyard, but he became the first person ever to report direct contact with the airship's crew. According to Meek, 
The pilot was a strange-looking man with the longest whiskers he'd ever seen. Meek cautiously approached the man and asked where he'd come from. The pilot responded that the ship had originated from the Montezuma Mountains. Another alleged eyewitness was able to glean even more information about the craft's conductors. In San Jose, an electrician named John A. Hefferon claimed he'd encountered a downed airship in a deserted field near Bolinas, California. Its crew appeared to be hard at work repairing it, and it wasn't going well. According to Hefferon, the pilot asked him to help repair the ship. Being an electrician, Hefferon obliged. To his credit, the craft was allegedly up and running again in no time. In exchange for his efforts, Hefferon insisted the pilot take him aboard and fly him to Hawaii. Hefferon boarded the airship, but oddly enough, he was back home in San Jose just 24 hours later. If that sounds unlikely, it's because it never happened. Hefferon's wife set the reporter straight. Her husband had been dead asleep in his bed on the night of his alleged Hawaiian airship trip. He'd made the whole thing up. And thanks to false accounts like this, it became harder and harder to parse fiction from reality. But that didn't stop the public from eating the testimony up. The mysterious airships were the hottest story in California. Papers were flying off newsstands. And it didn't take long for advertisers to get in on the action. One Sacramento brewer even ran an ad that a delegation from beyond the clouds came down to sample Roostaller's Gilt Edge Steam Beer. And in late November, a San Francisco department store owner took out a third of a page spread just in time for the holiday shopping season. It depicted Santa Claus as an airship pilot depositing a shipful of toys at his store. But despite all the excitement, many members of the California press remained skeptical. At times, the same outlet that ran a story of an airship sighting might then turn around and refute their own claims. One such paper was the Sacramento Record Union. They ran an editorial that scoffed that the airship or jack-o'-lantern cannot be verified properly without a liberal use of stimulants. Previously, their own editor had attested to seeing one. All over in San Francisco, the Examiner and the Call were still at war. When the Examiner editorialized that the entire airship mystery emanated from drunkenness, the Call blasted Hearst's airy chameleon and its conflicting stories. Then, without explanation or fanfare, the California reports ceased as if they'd never happened in the first place. Or as if they'd been silenced. Coming up, a Chicago man boasts the first ever photographic evidence of an airship. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. 
Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now, back to the story. By the end of 1896, the airship sightings all over California inexplicably petered out. Citizens wondered if the great airship mystery was over, and maybe it was. But only on the West Coast. On the night of February 2nd, 1897, strange craft reappeared to the citizens of Hastings, Nebraska. According to the Omaha Daily Bee, this wasn't the first airship the people of Hastings had seen. Another had been spotted the previous fall around the time of the California sightings. A few days later, on the night of February 4th, the airship appeared again, this time 40 miles south in Innavale, Nebraska. A few Innavale residents were walking home from a meeting of their local prayer group when they saw a bright light in the sky. Their curiosity peaked. They continued to scour the skies until the light swept back around. This time, it was much lower to the ground. It became clear to Innavale residents that this was the airship from out west. It was 35 feet long with a conically shaped body and a bright searchlight. According to the Omaha Daily Bee, the Innavale witnesses also saw six smaller lights, three on a side and two sets of wings on a side, and a large fan-shaped rudder. Reports continued to rush in from Nebraska throughout February. But by the end of the month, it appeared as if the craft had moved on. That's when strange lights in the sky made an appearance over northern Kansas. Prior to that, the Kansas City Star had griped that otherwise credible people had gotten swept up in airship mania. But they changed their tune when multiple reports popped up in late March. This time, the airships visited the residents of Belleville, Kansas, According to the Topeka Daily Capital, on March 28, 1897, Belleville residents spotted a fast-moving craft on at least two occasions. According to them, the vessel lit up the night sky and appeared to move in a playful manner, which suggests the airship possessed advanced maneuvering capabilities. By the spring of 1897, national airship mania was at its peak and things started to get weirder. On April 4th, Iowa dairy farmer Dick Butler was allegedly just arriving home from a trip to Sioux City when he saw a strange glow from a nearby cornfield. He hopped astride his horse and raced to track the light to its source. It was emanating from what appeared to be a downed airship. According to the Marshalltown Evening News Republican, Butler described a long, narrow car resembling a corset box, but 30 or 35 feet long. Over this car floated a cigar-shaped bag of about the same length. Butler drew closer to investigate, 
but his horse spooked and threw him into a ditch. By the time he collected himself, the airship had flown out of sight. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch didn't believe the hype. They claimed that two men in Omaha, Nebraska, had launched a balloon above the city with a basket of burning shavings attached to it. To them, the mystery airship sightings were nothing more than a practical joke. But on the night of April 8th, hundreds of witnesses in eastern Iowa swore to the Chicago record that they, too, had seen the mystery vessel in the sky. And they all gave a consistent description. The airship they saw had a long, cigar-shaped metallic body with protruding wings and a bright searchlight. Two days later, a flying craft was spotted in Quincy and Jacksonville, Illinois. Same description. The Illinois witnesses reported that the airship was flying at a low altitude over the Mississippi River. So low, in fact, that witnesses in Jacksonville swore to the Quincy Morning Whig that they'd plainly distinguished human voices. According to the Chicago Tribune, the airship was seen in the night sky on April 10, 1897. Witnesses estimated its size at 70 feet long and 20 feet wide. This time, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch piled on. According to their report, that same night, a man named W.H. Hopkins stumbled upon a grounded airship on the outskirts of Springfield, Missouri. Hopkins even claimed to have gone inside the craft. Apparently, the airship's crew consisted of a beautiful woman and a bearded man, both of whom were nude. He tried to initiate conversation, but they had difficulty understanding him. After several rounds of failed communication, the mysterious man and woman pointed to the sky. Hopkins' natural conclusion was that they were from Mars. Apparently, this was just too outlandish for the Des Moines leader. They published a report concluding the Nebraska-Iowa-Illinois airship is a pure fake. According to them, Hoaxers in Burlington, Iowa, had sent a tissue paper balloon into the air the night of April 10th. But disbelief didn't stop a tide of new sightings coming in. On April 11th, airships were spotted in Minnesota, Illinois, and Iowa. According to the Waterbury, Connecticut Democrat, the same night in Appleton, Wisconsin, farmer N.B. Clark made a startling discovery a letter left behind attached to an 18-inch rod sticking up from the ground. The letter claimed the airship had a name. It was called the Pegasus, and it had solved the problem of aerial navigation. It was a parallel plane airship, steam-powered, lit by electricity, and capable of carrying up to 1,000 pounds. It had been constructed in seclusion 10 miles outside of Lafayette, Tennessee, its parts having been shipped in from further afield. Lastly, it asserted the Pegasus patent application would be filed within a month, both in Washington and the European capitals. On and on the reports continued, but still there was no hard evidence. But that soon changed. In mid-April 1897, Walter McCann, a local photographer in Rogers Park, Chicago, claimed to have snapped the first and only known photo of the airship. 
The Chicago Times-Herald picked up the story immediately, and it became one of the most widely publicized events surrounding the airship mystery. But the picture, for all its fame, was never actually printed. Instead, the Times-Herald ran a pen-and-ink etching of it with the etcher's expert analysis. He'd apparently run chemical tests to see if the print had been tampered with, and in doing so, inadvertently tampered with the print. But he assured the Times-Herald readership it was genuine in every particular, a mighty fine piece of photographic work at that. The Times-Herald soon came to its senses and realized just how dubious it all sounded. Later the same day, they published a retraction and proclaimed the picture was a fake. Another expert, this time a photographer, had concluded the photo's perspective was impossible and likely staged. Even with all the evidence of a widespread hoax, the airships were a sensation. Chicago residents allegedly no longer greeted each other by saying hello, but with, have you seen the airship? Well, for many, the answer was yes. And there were new yeses every day. At 11 p.m. on the night of April 13, 1897, Lakeland, Minnesota resident Frederick Chamberlain was riding his horse to Hudson, Wisconsin. Suddenly, he and his riding partner came upon a lone figure in a clearing who appeared to be searching for something. As they drew closer, they heard twigs snap, then a rushing noise. A second later, they could distinguish a long, high object of gray-white color resembling the top of a covered wagon. According to the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Chamberlain and his partner could make out two rows of lights, four lights in two pairs. Each pair reportedly included a red and green bulb. The airship rose quickly at a sharp angle and passed over the trees to the south of where Chamberlain and his partner sat atop their horses, looking upwards as it flew out of sight. They could make out several more white lights, but couldn't distinguish much of anything else. No wings, no wheels, no rudders, and no human figures. But when Frederick and his partner investigated the clearing, they found 14 footprints, reportedly two feet in length, six inches wide, arranged seven on each side in an oblong pattern. Another area farmer independently corroborated an airship sighting at the same time, described as a dark object with red and green lights. The next night, April 14, 1897, witnesses in Fort Wayne, Indiana, saw a fast-moving, bright yellow object in the sky. The Fort Wayne Gazette reported residents F. Crocker and R. Trethaway had both spotted a round airship with a V-shaped tail. Trethaway commented on beautiful bright rays of yellow light that seemed to emanate from the vessel's body. That same night, the first in a long line of Lone Star airship sightings occurred in Denton, Texas. According to the Dallas Morning News, an amateur astronomer was stargazing through binoculars when he saw a cigar-shaped airship pass over the moon. By his estimate, it was 50 feet long with a powerful searchlight and smaller lights running along its sides. It had the same wing-like protrusions reported by previous witnesses, as well as the V-shaped tail. On April 15th, an airship was alleged to have crashed in Kalamazoo, Michigan, 
but no wreckage was produced to verify the story. The same evening, airship witnesses in Belle Plaine, Iowa, reported seeing a ship with two queer-looking persons on board who made desperate efforts to conceal themselves. They had the longest whiskers they ever saw in their lives. Notably, this is the same description provided the previous November by Yuba County, California resident William Bull Meek. Shortly after midnight the following night, the Bloomington Pantograph reported several residents of Danvers, Illinois, saw an airship of bright material with a small trailer following it, occupants dressed in Western style. Also on April 16th, reports of an airship in Fort Worth came in from the Dallas Morning News. Texas train conductor W. Haney was sitting on his front porch with his wife and mother when they spotted a large dark object with a bright searchlight in the sky. It appeared to be moving in a southwestern direction. Try as he might to get a better look, Haney couldn't see any wings or sails attached to the airship. The following night, April 17, 1897, a second airship crash was reported in the small northern Texas town of Aurora, an event which would become the most hotly debated of the entire airship mystery. A local signal service officer claimed to have lifted an alien body from the airship wreckage, a body some believe still lies buried in an unmarked grave. As outlandish as the supposed extraterrestrial crash was, the public seemed to utterly believe in the airships, and the eyewitnesses kept pouring in. The next couple of days were host to a series of reports out of Texas, recounting strange encounters with the ship's crew. So much coverage was devoted to these various, conflicting, and increasingly elaborate accounts, it's likely people eventually grew tired of it. Because, sure enough, by the end of April, the Texas airship reports stopped. A smattering of other accounts would come in from Ohio and Nebraska on April 19th, then another Ohio story in early May, and a final report in Waterloo, Iowa in early June. However, that Iowa sighting was later determined to have been a hoax cooked up by the local paper to drive tourist traffic to the town. But surely, they couldn't all be made up. Hundreds of people claimed to see the craft right up until the summer of 1897. So, why did the airship suddenly just stop? Conspiracy theory number one. They were a newspaper hoax cooked up by yellow journalists to sell papers. Some claimed the journalists were even aided and abetted by railroad employees and news telegraphers. Conspiracy theory number two. The airships were the work of a secretive inventor who either quickly scrapped the creations or figured out how to keep them under wraps. There are several possibilities for this creator's identity. It's even been proposed that Congress was funding airship development to aid in the impending Spanish-American War. Finally, conspiracy theory number three. The ships carried visitors from an alien race. Some ufologists think proof of extraterrestrial life lies in an unmarked grave in Aurora, where the mysterious airship finally crashed. 
These are just three of the most popular conspiracy theories. There are hundreds more that try to explain the mysterious vessels. The one thing we can say for sure about these inexplicable aircraft is that they raise more questions than answers. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode exploring possible hoaxes, cover-ups, and explanations for the great airship mystery. Next week, we'll dive into the conspiracy theories about these bizarre sightings and their equally bizarre end. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, type Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Joel Stein. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Allison Lani, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.